Good morning, Fellowship High Crest. That was that was all right this morning. Y'all got me on the first time. Like it was my birthday or something. Some. I mean, that's, that's what I'm talking about. You know, um, yesterday uh, we were able through Scent, our nonprofit, uh, were able to put on a, a basketball camp for youth ages six uh, from sixth grade all the way through twelfth grade. And uh, some of my friends, they lead a company, uh, athletic training company called 413 Athletics, and they pay part of their cost to get up here and took out their time to come and do the camp. And I'm going to tell you uh, what's good. When you have friends, uh, Faith, one of my friends, Faith, that's you away, her sister Tracy are here with us this morning. Some of the coaches had to leave already. Um, I've been knowing Faith since high school, so don't ask her any questions about me. Um, but faith uh, has, has continuously been there. She's seen me grow throughout my faith. And I remember getting out of college in 2002 and then getting in Bible college and realizing that I didn't know how to share my faith. Uh, one of the first people that when God struck that message on my heart that meant I didn't know how to share my faith. I, I had never shared my faith before. Like I started thinking about the people around me that I love that I wasn't sure what they said with God. Like she was one of the first people that I called that I wanted to make sure that when I got there, she was going to be there with me. And over this time in ministry, man, she has continuously poured in and supported me. So it's great to have friends. Faith, thank you and the 413 Athletics team for coming up this weekend and doing that. And so uh, all the kids uh, who were part of it, the coaches, everybody had a great, great, great time yesterday. And so we're looking forward to continuing those throughout um, the years that we're here. Another thing is one of our normal rhythms is celebration. And so I don't know if you know uh, Katie, who was playing bass this morning. She is one of our interns, and her birthday was yesterday. So if you see Katie, uh, you make sure to tell her happy birthday, um, because we like to celebrate around here. Matter of fact, is Katie still in here? Right there? All right, so we're going to sing happy birthday to Katie in one, two, three. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Katie. Happy birthday to you. All right, good stuff. And Katie, since I gave up three minutes of my sermon time for you, I'm going to get that back on the back end. So that's coming with it. So, all right. All right. But if this is your first time with us, I want to let you know that as I speak this morning, you will see some page numbers on the screen. And those page numbers will correlate to the pages in the blue Bibles that are in your seat. If you don't have a Bible of your own, please take that one as a gift from us. If you don't have a Bible that's easy to read, please take that one as a gift from us. If you know someone who doesn't have a Bible or doesn't have one that's easy to read, please take that one and give it to them as a gift from both of us. Um, This morning, our focal passage is found in the book of 1 Peter. We are continuing our walk through this book. We only have one more message in this series, and then we start our next series the week following that. Um, But it's in chapter 3, verses 15 through 16, kind of hits on some of the verses that we hit last time. Would you join me there? It's on page 740. Page 740 is toward the back all the way toward getting close to the back of the Bible. Um, it's in the New Testament. So there at 1 Peter three fifteen through 16, here's what it says. 
Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. But do this in a gentle and respectful way. Keep your conscience clear. Then if people speak against you, they will be ashamed when they see what a good life you live because you belong to Christ. This is God's word. You know, in 2014, in October 2014, the Washington Post did a survey and they found that public speaking was the greatest fear amongst people, uh, even above snakes and heights and bugs. I don't know about that for my daughter um, and, and drowning and clowns, just to name a few. Yeah, I know some people that are definitely afraid of clowns. But for many uh, people, uh, public speaking entails not only speaking in front of large crowds of people, but also in saying anything to anyone about Jesus. While it is true that, that some people are more shaped and naturally gifted to speak with others about Jesus, it is also true that all those who follow Jesus Christ are commanded to tell others about him in spite of their natural gifting and shape. You know, so that verse you heard from 2 invert, 3 and 16, everyone share the gospel except for those that are introverted, that does not really exist. And so, um, but is there a way that we can become more equipped and less intimidated with sharing and speaking with people about Jesus in everyday life? I hope so, because there are 85 million people in our country who are unbelieving and unchurched. There are another 15 million people who believe but are not connected to a faith community. And as we've stated, they say 61% of people that live within a five-mile radius of what we're sitting at this morning are not connected with a religious community. What that means is we won't reach those people by what we do in here on Sunday mornings. It's going to occur in our everyday life. So how do we get better at doing this? You know, during our time together last week, when we described church, we said the following. We said that the church is a group of people whose lives model the ending vision of a king living with his people. This group of people model that, that vision by centering their lives around two things, gospel and community. Gospel is always our content and community is always our context. Gospel is made up of two parts. The first part is the word because gospel is a message which must be proclaimed. And the second part is mission, which was our focus last week. Mission is a part of the gospel that we live out. It's, it's how we live out what we say we believe. And so we say that at, at 11 a.m. on Sunday mornings at 455 Southeast Gulf Boulevard in the great neighborhood of Highland Crest in the southeast part of Topeka, Kansas, is when those disciples who call Fellowship High Crest their home gather. That is why I like to describe what we do here on Sunday mornings more as a gathering then church, because on Sundays at 11 a.m. is when the church gathers and throughout the week is when the church scatters. Remember, we talked about last week how the church is not an event, it's not a building, but it's a group of people. And so that's why that's important. And as much as the things we do um, are part of the gospel, we have to remember that the gospel is also a message to proclaim. Remember that, that famous scripture or uh, quote that a lot of us hear that uh, preach the gospel always and if necessary, use words. And I told you that no one has ever been able to find out where he actually wrote that. So it's kind of a mythical thing. The gospel is a message which must be proclaimed. We have to say something. 
So that is a part of it. And if there are 100 million people in our country who are unchurched are going to be introduced to our greatest friend, Jesus Christ, then we have to begin to understand and have ways and be equipped and become less intimidated when it comes to sharing about their relationship in the streams of everyday life. You know, at Fellowship High Crest, we prefer to use the phrase stepping over the line of faith to being saved. And here's why. The Bible describes three phases of salvation. So if a Christian is asked, are they saved? They can literally answer, have been, have been, am being, and will be. And here's what I mean by that. The first phase of salvation uh, discussed is positional salvation or justification. Justification simply means to be declared righteous. It happens at the moment someone accepts Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. It's an instantaneous thing, momentary thing. The moment you switch over and Jesus Christ becomes the Lord and Savior of your life, you have just stepped over the line of faith. It is a positional, instantaneous thing. The person immediately crosses over from death to life at that moment, and at that moment they're saved from the penalty of sin. That's the first step. A good way to describe this first step or a scripture um, for this first step is um, Ephesians 2, 8, 9. It's a good scriptural reference for that. Now, baptism, which we encourage you of, and we say that's your first step of obedience, which we do on the third Sundays here. And you'll hear about we have a children's baptism pool party coming up also this month or next month, early next month. But that is a way to show the inward change that occurred in this first step. So when you have stepped over this first step, when this first step of salvation have happened, what you do to express that it's happened is you get baptized. Why do you get baptized? Because Jesus said you need to. And if you don't get baptized, you're living in disobedience. It is it's that simple. The second phase of salvation is conditional salvation or sanctification. Sanctification means to be made righteous. This happens from the moment someone steps across the line of faith into the time that we die. So it continuously happens. As we submit ourselves and our lives to the Holy Spirit, he grows and matures us to look more like Christ. It, it, it is in this phase of salvation that we're freed from the power of sin. So in the first phase, you're freed from the penalty of sin. And sanctification, from the moment you step over the line of faith to the moment you die, you're freed from the power of sin. It's a present tense thing, meaning it's continuously happening in your life. We're continuously being transformed into the image of who Christ is. We're continuously looking more and more like him and less and less like ourselves. It describes how one grows from immaturity to maturity in Christ. And a good scriptural reference for this is 1 Corinthians 1.18. Now, these first two steps of salvation, these first two phases are what are normally described as the discipleship process. It's the process in which one steps over from death to life and from immaturity to maturity in Christ. The third phase, the last phase is the one that we all really love. Glorification or perfect salvation. Glorification means eternally righteous. In it, we are freed from the presence of sin. This little fact is why no church will ever be perfect. You know, glorification happens from the moment we die all the way throughout eternity. Even in eternity, we will continuously be saved. We'll continuously be transformed into the uh, image of Christ 
even while we're in eternity, will continually be transformed and look more and more like him, become better image bearers of Christ, even throughout eternity. And so we're saved from the presence of sin. And the church will always be made up of sinful people uh, because we will have to endure sin's presence until we leave this life. And therefore, although we may mature, we'll still have problems. But that does not mean that we can't and shouldn't identify ourselves with Christ. Now, that's important for you to hear. No church you ever go to will be perfect. And if you find a perfect church, don't stay there because you'll make it imperfect. But the sure fact that you're not perfect and the church is not perfect doesn't mean that you should say that that person is not a Christian or that you're not a Christian. That's important to remember. And we have to set this boundary and this framework as we begin this. But because of that second phase, we should all become more and more like him every day. There should be some apparent change. Now, for this third phase, a good scriptural reference is Romans 8 and 30. Now, this is important because the New Testament is a collection of missionary documents sent into missionary situations. And missionaries who live on the outside of culture are asked to do three things. Every missionary organization that you will come across asks the missionaries it sends to do three things. It asks them to reach the lost, disciple those they reach, and then mobilize those they disciple for ministry. So continuously, our lives should be described by reaching the lost, Discipling those we reach and mobilizing those that we disciple for ministry. This is what it means to make disciples. And so this group of people that Peter were writing to needed to know how to reach and disciple those that lived around them that didn't immediately identify with them. So this morning, we'll look at three elements that will make having a defense not seem so defensive and awkward. And the first one in that is building relationships building relationships. Peter starts off our focal passage by saying this, instead you must worship Christ as Lord of your life, and if someone asks about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. The text says if you're going to have the opportunity to make disciples in everyday life, then it starts with worship being in everyday life. And how does that mean? What does that mean? What does worship mean? We've described that previously as worship is responding to who God is and what God has done. And here's how that simply looked. Here's how it gets real practical. If God has been gracious to you, then you're going to be gracious to others. If God has been loving to you, then you're going to be loving to others. If God um, seeks relationship with you, then you seek relationship with others. You starting to get the picture of how that works? Whatever God has been to you, you respond by being that to others. That's what it looks like to worship in everyday life. When you respond to Christ as Lord of your life, it causes you to love the others around you. And that builds the platform. One of the things that hurts us in the in the church a lot of times is we want to speak with no platform. We haven't taken time to love folks and therefore we have no platform to speak from. Our message gets um, validated once we have love folks. And that's the first step. At Fellowship High Crest, High Crest, when we talk about evangelism, it involves three things. And that first element, like I said, is building relationships. Now, that can take on uh, different looks in different situations. In a restaurant, it can be praying for your waiter or waitress and asking them for their name so that you refer to them by their name throughout dinner rather than, hey, you. 
That's just a show of love for that person. Their mom gave them a name, and we should refer to them by it. Another one is on a prayer walk. It can be inviting the family to take part in the community event that we're having where they can um, just come have fun as a family or either connect with some uh, resource that will help their family out. Another one looks like, hey, it can be remembering the birthdays of people on your job and celebrating them. In society, uh, we can take up the causes of those that are overlooked, a social outcast, the sick, the hurting, the undervalued, and alone. That's part of the reason we're taking up the supplies for the immigrant children, the way to send those off. In our homes, we learn how individuals in our family feel loved, and we love them in the way that they feel loved. If you haven't read the book, The Five Love Languages, I highly recommend it. Learn how those around you feel loved and love them in that way. On our street, we invite our neighbors over for dinner. We mow their yards while they're on vacation. We take over meals when we know that they've been sick or they just had a baby. We take over pizza and soda when they're moving in. These are all ways that we can love on those around us and start building relationships. You know, we just had a birthday party for Toby Friday night, and I I was happy to see some of my across-the-street neighbors there and also some uh, uh, one of the guys that me and JP have met at the gym. It comes from engaging them in their context and then just inviting them over and building a relationship with them in the natural streams of life. Sometimes we have only seconds and sometimes we have years. The situation and context determines the route in which we take. So how does this look? Part of it looks like this. Last week, a couple of us went out to Cali for some discipleship training. And while we were there, we had breakfast a couple of the mornings. And one of the mornings, we were doing our just normal thing. And I asked for the waitress's name. We were able to get her name. We asked about um, anything we can pray for for her her family in that moment. We're about to say, Grace, it won't cost us anything. They won't add anything to your check if you pay for your waiter or waitress. Will you believe that? They won't, they won't cost you anything extra. And so we, we prayed for her, and then in the brief moments that she was at our table, we got the opportunity to share the gospel. On the way home, we were getting on the plane. It was Ian and I. Ian is, a, is another guy. He's about 6'4". Ian over there, he, he co-leads our discipleship team. And there was this little bitty lady who sat in between us, which was a value for the both of us, because have you seen the airplane seat? And um, on the way, doing conversation, I do two things on planes. I share the gospel or I go to sleep. I say I'm going to read books, but I'm going to go to sleep. And so we get on a plane, and I got to meeting her and talking with her before they closed the door and found out that she's a believer, that she helps prepare communion for her church twice a month. Um, she prayed um, for High Crest. I prayed for some things in her life, learned about her story and how she got to where she was, all that in the span of two hours. That is, that is making it real and practical there. In both situations, I use the same tools, a simple thing that I'll teach you this morning. And this is important, right? One of the reasons I think that we've been bad at making disciples in the church is because we're awkward people as Christians. And we don't know how to meet people. So I'm going to give you something this morning where you will always have something to talk with people about no matter where you meet them at. So in order to teach this, I need everybody who can stand to stand this morning with us. We're going to teach you this this morning real quick. It's going to give you some practical tools to leave here with. So everybody who can stand to stand. All right. So I need you to do the hand motions. It sounds hokey, but I learned this and it works. All right. So I want you to do it with me. All right. So you have a big golden nameplate. Big golden nameplate. 
You can say that with me. Big golden nameplate, all right? And on top of that nameplate, you got a two-story white house teeter-tottering back and forth. There we go. Man, this is like Sesame Street. And so, all right, so you got a big golden nameplate. You got a two-story white house teeter-tottering back and forth. And in the attic window, you got a little boy waving his hand. And on the little boy's arm is a long black glove. So you got a big golden nameplate, two-story white house, teeter-tottering back and forth. And in the attic window, you got a little boy waving his hand, and he has a long black glove on. And on the palm of that glove is a white W. All right, so you got a big golden nameplate, two-story white house, teeter-tottering back and forth. In the attic window, you got a little boy waving his hand, and he has a long black glove on with a white W on the palm of that hand. And in between the fingers of that glove is an airplane. And the airplane has tennis rackets for propellers. And flashing lights on it. Now sit down, I'm going to teach you how, how it turns into something that you can use. <laughs> Scripture talks about the insanity of stuff. So this is how that always gives you something to talk about. What's your name? Where do you live? Where are you from? Do you have any kids? Do you have any sisters or brothers? Where do you work? Where do you go to school? Where, you went on, where did you go on your last vacation? Where have you traveled to in the world? What sports do you play? What are your interests? If I've met you, I've went through that pyramid with you. I use it wherever I go. It's simple things that help you to always have something to talk about with those that you meet. And when you get to a point where somebody likes to talk about that area, just let them talk. Just stop. You don't have to make it through the whole thing. You can just sit and you just let them talk. And then you start building a relationship with them around that topic because it's about them, not about you. So the ability to meet new people is good. But once we have spent time building relationships, we will have the opportunity to hear their stories and share his story. So the second phase is to share the gospel. So it's not enough just to stay in the phase of um, building relationships. We actually have to share the gospel. So let's look back at our focal passages again. And there it says this. Instead, you must worship Christ as your Lord of your life. And if someone asks about um, your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. So here we go. It says everyone has a story. And when we begin to listen, we'll see where their story intersects his story. Everyone has a story. And when we begin to listen, we'll see where their story intersects his story, the gospel story. And there will also be opportunities to interpret um, a person's life when life breaks down. And that's sure to happen because every view of life not governed by God's word eventually breaks down. A problem or a crisis will expose moments of exposure in that person's life and expose their story. For example, if our interpretation of life is one of self-resilience or self-reliance, then cracks will appear when life becomes difficult or events overtake us. We begin to realize that we don't control our circumstances. I don't know how many of y'all been there with me. If our interpretation of life is to look to others to satisfy us, then, then cracks will appear when people let us down. They'll be followed by loneliness and disappointment and, and resentment, becoming a, a glaring reminder to us that relying on others does not work. If, if, our, if we interpret life as a series of events, 
in which we must be satisfied, then we'll find cracks will appear when each fix begins to fail us. We become desperate for the next hit, for the next drink, for the next relationship, for the next plate of food, or for the next vacation. If we've interpreted life as striving to be perfect, then cracks will appear in these moments when we cannot sustain perfection. We'll start to cover our faults. We'll, we'll let lies creep in and we'll begin to hide and stray away from those whose opinions we value. All these moments will expose a part of a person's story and allow us to see where their story intersect with the gospel. And they'll intersect at one of four points. And here's where they are. Creation, fall, redemption and consummation. How does that look? Creation. They'll talk about uh, who they are or what they're meant to be. Fall. They'll talk about uh, what is wrong with them or what is wrong with the world. Somebody or something will be blamed. Redemption. They'll talk about what needs to happen for things to be put right. Consummation. They'll talk about something that they're hoping will give them meaning or satisfaction. All these things are moments of intersection with someone's story and the story of salvation. And why does this happen? Because everyone is searching for something to help them feel fulfilled and satisfied and valuable. When these points of intersection happen, we must not be quick to tell people what they need to do. We need to take a step back and just be happy that this person was willing to open up a window into their life and into their story and share it with us. It's not always about telling folks what they need to do. When these windows open and we see this, it it reveals one of four liberating truths that a person is not believing. That we're not believing. And so as I look back at my life, especially in my adulthood, every time I've gone through a major funk, it's been one of these four liberating truths that I hadn't believed. And my way out of that funk was realigning my heart and relearning one of these truths. And here are what those four truths are. The first one is this. God is great. So we don't have to be in control. The second is, is God is glorious, so we don't have to fear others. The third one is God is good, so we don't have to look elsewhere. And the fourth one is God is gracious, so that we don't have to prove ourselves. Now, that's one of the ones I struggle with the most. As we talk with people, we can ask ourselves which of these four truths that they and we are not believing. Then we can begin to think about how we can speak truth into their story and ours. Sometimes questions are the best way to go about that. Some questions like, what do you really want? How's that working out for you? What's your ideal outcome? Why does that matter so much? And these will often uh, just show us which liberating truth the person is not believing. And how does that look in real life? You take somebody who's built like me, who's, who's always overly busy and stressed and worn out kind of thing. They might be too busy because they're insecure and need to control their life. When God is great and cares for us as a sovereign heavenly father. They might be too busy because they fear other people and cannot say no. When God is glorious and his opinion is the one that matters. 
They might be too busy because they are filling their lives with activity in a desperate attempt attempt to find salvation or satisfaction when God is good and the true source of joy. They might be too busy because they're trying to prove themselves through their work when, when God is gracious and justifies us freely through the finished work of Christ. But see, the, the relationship efforts can't end just when we start sharing the gospel, and here's why. It is often in the sharing of meals, in the helping others with chores, in the hanging out, in the engaging in recreational activities, in the answering of questions, and, and often we get to share snippets of the gospel truth along the way. That's often where mission takes place, where we get to live out what we say we believe. It is during these times that we get to insert Jesus into their story. And sometimes it's like, like I said, on planes or going door to door, we get to share the whole story and hear their whole story in one shot. And a lot of times it doesn't happen like that. A lot of times it happens in many interactions that we have to go through to hear their story. And then a lot of more interactions that we get to share their, share the story in. So a lot of times it doesn't happen in all one interaction, and it might not all be by us personally. So relationship building and sharing the gospel doesn't end the task of evangelism. There's still one more element, and it's introducing people to the church. Let's look back at verse 16 again. It says, but do this in a gentle and respectful way. Keep your conscience clear. Then if people speak against you, they'll be ashamed when they see what a good life you live because you belong to Christ. Peter says in the second part of this verse 16 that they will see your life. If you remember from last week that the you in this verse is not a singular you, but a plural you like a y'all. Now, I don't know. Like I was asking earlier, if people say y'all in Kansas, they say that y'all really didn't say y'all in Kansas. But I know from Texas, we say y'all a lot. And I was saying that that this proves that Texas was closer to God. But and so um, because we speak like them. See, we say y'all. Y'all better get on board. See, you see that right there? You see what I just did right there? So what that means is that the life they observe won't be the life of a singular person, but the life of the community of God, of the body together. And I'm... I got to give you a caution right here. Um, if you want to wreck a person, then you try, to, you, you try to Lone Ranger do evangelism. Because here's what often I've seen over the years. When you keep a person unconnected from the body of Christ, whenever you can't be there for them, they feel like God has abandoned them. When you, when you fail them or you fail morally, what you're going to do, because we all do it, They feel like everything is a sham. And what they start doing is, in a way that they don't intend to, they make you an idol. You start to replace God for them. And so they miss Jesus to see you. So this step is so important of connecting them to the body, connecting them in community to the church. And so we have to see... That that's why we invite them to Sunday mornings, to family dinner, to root it, to small groups, because we want to get them connected in community as fast as possible so they don't see this imperfect view of Christianity that I live out. So they can get a whole picture of Christianity. 
Heck, it's why we invite them to go to the football game with us, to go paint pottery with us, to, to see a movie with us, to go fishing with us, to play golf with us, or even to go enjoy a beer with us. It's because we want them to see this thing being lived out in community. The new believer uh, or the still unbelieving friend needs to see the gospel lived and loved in community. They need to see the power of the gospel unite unrelated people and, and make them family. They need to see us failing and, and falling apart, but then see grace in action. I tell you, just being honest right here, I had to apologize to one of our volunteers right before I stepped on stage because I knew I was coming to preach. They need to see that happen. And if you're not in community, there's no way that they can see those kind of things happen. If they're not connected in community, there's no way that they can see those things happen. We need to connect people to the body. They need to see this network of relationships that make up the entire body and our giftedness together that paints this picture. That's what we need to show them. And while they may deny our arguments, it's going to be hard for them to deny the witness of the collective body of Christ. You know, as dangerous as an incomplete gospel is, it's, uh, incomplete evangelism is just as dangerous. If we're to share the gospel in the way that the scriptures point out, then we need to look to build relationships. We need to share the good news of Jesus Christ at a depth and a speed that is loving with the person in which we're sharing it. And we should demonstrate how the gospel is a community matter. It's not a solo journey. Becoming better in these areas will take intentionality. It won't be easy. Yet nothing worth having has ever been easy. A lot of people say, what about the free grace of God? Well, that free grace cost an innocent man his life. It wasn't easy. It was very costly. Now, what is that story? What is the story? The story of the good news is this. It's the most incredible love story in the most action-packed adventure movie that you will ever hear of. It tells about how loving, holy God, who is utterly different from us. Yes, we bear his image, but because of our sin, we're utterly different than him. And we're separated from him because of that sin. How he sent his son when we were at our worst, when we were just utterly wretched. He sent his son to die for us. And Jesus, his son, fully God, fully man, came to live a real life so that all those who declare him as Lord and Savior would be fully loved and fully known by the God of the universe. When we make a step to trust Christ as our Lord and Savior, When we trust him and him resurrected, we gain a new relationship. We gain a new family. We gain a new inheritance. We gain a new identity. We gain a new hope. And we gain a new story. Are you tired of the same old story ruling your life? Well, find yourself in Christ's story. In a second, I'm going to pray and give you an opportunity to do that. No special words, no special order words. It's a prayer of thanks. 
If you do that for the first time this morning, mark it on your card and let us know. You can drop it in the offering or you can, our prayer partners will be waiting to speak with you after service. You can come up here and talk to Jeremy I. But let us know so we can walk beside you in your next step. Like I said, if you, if you make that decision this morning, your first step of obedience is baptism, which is the easiest step of obedience. Because all Jesus asks us to do is get wet for him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the gift of your son. We weren't deserving. We didn't earn it, but you gave him. Father, help us to see ways of, of building relationships and loving on those around us. Help us be bold in sharing your story and helping people connect their story to yours. And help us to be diligent in connecting people to your body, to, to the bride of your son. Father, if there's someone here today that's been struggling, that, that's been trying to do it on their own, and they're thinking that coming to church service and, and, and remembering verses is going to do it, Father, help them to give up. And know it's only by trusting in your son, Jesus Christ. It's only by his finished work that we have any basis for a relationship with you. Father, make us a people who collectively demonstrate to the world around us what it looks like to be loved by you. We pray these things in your darling son Jesus' name. Amen.